You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Good morning. My name is Liz Storm. Our scripture today is Genesis 42. I will be reading verses 29 to 38, which can be found on page 25 of the Chairback Bibles. If you do not have a Bible, we would love for you to take that one as a gift. Page 29, verses 29 through 38. When they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies in the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We have never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me, and take grain for the famine of your households, and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me, then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw that their bundles of money were there, they were afraid. And Jacob their father said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now, would, now you would take Benjamin. All, that, all this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time that you have given us together to worship, and now sit under the teaching of your word. Be with Jeremy as he delivers this sermon, and grant us discernment to hear what you would have to say to us. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Thank you, Miss Liz. Recently read a story in a book by David Platt about a gal he names Abby. Abby was in her mid-twenties. She had grown up in a church, had gone to Christian school, had seemed to check the boxes that a church like us would be grateful to see in a young woman's life. She she was in her twenties. She started out on a job. And she was finding herself quite consumed with her work, her career, the trajectory of her life. Things were going well when she found herself in a relationship with Mr. Wonderful. They fell madly in love, gave one another two, they gave, they gave themselves to each other, and when she found out that he was going to break up with her, her life started to crumble. Here in her mid-twenties, things were going so well. And then it wasn't too long after they had broke up, she realized she was pregnant. Here's how the book continues. In an instant, it seemed to Abby that the world had come crashing down around her. 
she thought to herself, I, I can't have my baby. My reputation will be ruined. My family will be shamed. My career will be over. Enveloped by panic and gripped with fear, she ended up walking into an abortion clinic. Within a couple of hours, her problem was solved, her predicament taken care of, or so she thought. The following Monday, she returned to business as usual, life as normal, hiding the secret of what she'd done as if nothing bad had ever happened. Turns out, Abby kept this decision a secret for many years. And a question to consider, if a gal like Abby decided at some point, you know what, I really do want to pursue Christ. If a woman in this situation was desiring to have a right relationship with God, would she need to face this unconfessed sin? Would she need to do business with a secret sin she'd left in the closet, so to speak. Or consider the story of Abraham. Abraham was a very kind man. He had a family, kids he cared for, a wife he loved. Things seemed to be going fine for Abraham. And as days turned into months and years, Abraham continued to do his best to pursue Christ. But he had this secret on the side that he was really ashamed of, but wouldn't let people into. He was addicted to pornography. And Abraham, had you asked him, say, hey, would, do you think this is a sin? Undoubtedly, he would say, of course, technically, it's a sin. But in his heart of hearts, there's just so much shame. And there's such a deep pattern that Abraham continued to keep that closed off. Not sure what to do. On the surface, things look fine. But in his heart of hearts, he noticed passion for Christ wilting. And a question to consider for the life of Abraham. If this guy is really going to pursue Christ, is he really going to have to go do business with a bunch of this unconfessed sin? That in his mind he thought, I'm just going to keep that on wraps. I'm going to go to the grave with that because it won't help anybody to know. This morning we come to a text that addresses the difficult reality of hidden sin. And as we walk through this scripture, we're going to wrestle through two troubling questions. The first is this, does God make us face our past unconfessed sin for our good? Does he really make us do that? And then, will God really ask us to face our fears for our good? These are tough questions. And this is a tough sermon. If it feels tough at all for you at any point here, I mean, me too. But, but sooner or later, we've got to do business with these questions. And we've got to do business with what God might be doing in our lives so how are we going to respond? What does the scripture say? If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you go to Genesis 42? So I want to show you this morning from God's word how these questions are answered. 
First question, does God make us face our past unconfessed sin for our good? For those of you who've been with us, we've been in this section in Genesis, the the third big section of the book, if you will, since Genesis 37, and we've been tracking the life of Joseph. And here in chapter 42, his lying and betraying brothers, they are back on the scene. A worldwide famine has not only impacted Egypt, but it has reached its fingers into the promised land, leading Jacob, father of these 12, of course, the leader of the family. He's desperate. He actually seems frustrated. Look in the text with me in verse 1. He functionally says, hey, quit staring at each other. Go to Egypt and get some grain. The brothers prepare to go, but one of them won't be making the journey. Jacob, verse 4, does not let Benjamin go because of what might happen to him. Now again, if you're new, something you should know is that in the story of Jacob, he had two wives, and, and one of the wives was his favorite. That was Rachel. And Rachel had two boys, Joseph and Benjamin. And while a dad shouldn't have multiple wives... And while a dad shouldn't have favorite kids, that's what's up in the scriptures. That's what's happening here. And it puts the ten sons who are not from Jacob and Rachel, deep jealousy. They hate the favored ones, especially hating Joseph. He was the oldest, and that's why in 37, Genesis 37, they sold Joseph into slavery. They went to their dad. They lied to their dad. Looks like an animal got him, dad. Real sorry about that. And as far as Jacob was concerned, Joseph was dead. And for 20 years, since the day he sent to Joseph, said, go tell your brothers this message in Jacob's heart, he's had to mourn the loss of his, one of his two favorite sons. So, Here's Benjamin, the last favored son from Rachel. So he's quite protective. You can appreciate why then he says, man, I'm not sending Benjamin down to Egypt because if something were to happen to Benjamin, I'm really concerned. And In fact, some commentators suggest that I've been persuaded. Not only is Jacob just concerned something random might happen, but Jacob may have an insight into the character of his sons. I mean, we've only got a little bit of story in this Book of Genesis about his sons, but you may remember from Genesis chapter 34, Jacob's sons deceived a city of Shechem into getting circumcised, and on the painful day after, when all the men had gone gone that, there's two of Jacob's sons, they go in and just slaughter all the men. Or a different story, in Genesis 38, there's this guy named Judah, one of the sons, who tries to get his daughter-in-law burned at the stake, so to speak, because she's pregnant, only to find out, oh, she's pregnant with my kid. Jacob, I'm convinced, knew at least these two stories, and my guess is there's more that put Jacob in a place where he thought to himself, man, bad stuff. These guys, these guys, they're not good company, and I do not want to send my Benjamin. I don't trust my Benjamin with these 10. And so verse 5, the 10 brothers make the one-week trip to Egypt, and who do they meet? In our text, none other than Joseph. 
Now, now, Joseph is dressed different. Now, he is assimilated into Egyptian culture, so chances are he's clean-shaven, bald head, not to mention Egyptian clothing. So he's not recognized by them, but Joseph does recognize his brothers. The boys bow down, verse 6, to Joseph. And Joseph, I think, quickly on his feet, responds with harsh accusations of spying. Almost like he kind of expected they'd show up. And Joseph goes, oh, you guys are spies. Now, some think, hmm, this is, this is Joseph getting even with his brothers. He's going to accuse them of spying. But I actually think, I'm... I'm persuaded Joseph isn't just trying to get back at them because there's a lot worse ways you can get back at somebody who tried to kill you and just say are you a spy <laughs> I showed them didn't I told them they were spies and I think Joseph's got a plan here and 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 in verse 11 you can see that Joseph is remembering right that I said verse 11, uh, 9, forgive me. In, in verse 9, Joseph's remembering there was these dreams back in 37 where all the brothers bowed down. But as he counts them, he knows, man, Benjamin's not here. So I think Joseph, in his wisdom, is concocting a plan to get Benjamin to Egypt as well. And it begins with this accusation of spying. Verses 12 and 14, Joseph doubles down on his accusation, then offers a character test. Then in verse 18, you might notice the character test just changes a touch. Initially, he said, I'm going to keep all of you in jail, and I'm going to send one to go get Benjamin. And then three days later, he goes, actually, here's what I'll do. I'm going to just leave one in jail, and the nine of you go get Benjamin. That's the plan. Now, think carefully here, church, because I want to be sure you can appreciate the genius of Joseph's plan. Does this idea of sending all the brothers except one to remain in Egypt remind you of anything previously in the life of Joseph? See, back in Genesis 37, all the brothers were willing to lose Joseph, ta-ta Joseph, have a good life, to care for themselves. It was to their personal benefit to send Joseph packing. And here then, Joseph is providing the brothers an opportunity to see, are y'all going to repeat the same mistake? Because I'm just going to keep one. I'm going to send all y'all back. Wonder what they'll do. Will the nine brothers forget about the one that they left behind? The similarities between this current predicament and the old situation with Joseph is not lost on the boys. Because look at verse 21. Look at 21. These boys are seeing the irony. Then, then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. What our writer wants us to see is there's all these connections that the God is sovereignly creating through this situation. And the boys may think, we're getting punished because we did bad by Joseph. But of course, we know this situation isn't punitive. 
God means this situation to be restorative. Revealing us to us, Joseph has indeed created an ingenious scenario to get to the heart of their hidden sin. Reuben, the eldest, verse 22, he says, I told you so. I told you so. You should have listened. And we're in this situation because there will be a reckoning for Joseph's blood. And though Reuben wasn't speaking Egyptian, Joseph is in the room and he hears him. He hears him. And, and Joseph has to turn away to weep all these years. He's wondered, how do you all make sense of what you did to me? And he's beginning to see. That having walked through these first 24 verses, albeit quickly, what I want you to see is God has used some terrible situations to actually bring good to his chosen family. God has used a tragedy like famine. God, God doesn't want famine on earth, but he's allowed this famine and he is bending the famine to work good for his chosen family so that they begin to do business with unconfessed sin. What is more, God, through Joseph, allows these accusations of spying to begin to awaken the brothers to their sin against their brother so long ago. To keep going, God, through Joseph, uses the imprisonment of the ten to soften the brothers and to lead them to realize, as awful as it must have felt for them, that God was supernaturally operating through all of these circumstances to prick their consciences and to bring them to a place where they have to face their secret, unconfessed sin. Here then is the answer to our first question, what I hope you can see. Yes, God will put us in positions where we very well have to face up to our past unconfessed sin. God will put us in these positions where we got to face our past unconfessed sin. But that's awful. It feels awful. For anyone here who's experienced something like Abby, like we started with in the sermon, or Abraham, or, or maybe the details aren't identical, but you know the feeling of shame and guilt, and I did this thing, and I do not want to share it because this is so embarrassing. Our tendency when we face those situations is not to conclude that Oh, yeah, God's doing this for my good. That's not how we think. We, we look at those situations and we get scared. And we think, if that gets out, that's going to expose me. And if people know what I'm really like, it's going to ruin me. Now, now, we need to be careful here because this could be very tender. There may be some of you here going through a difficult situation and thinking to yourself, okay, well, the boys in the text are going through a difficult situation because they haven't confessed sin, and now I'm going through a difficult situation. Is that because I haven't confessed sin? And God's like, 
I'm going to get you. I want to be careful of that parallel because, well, yeah, if the Holy Spirit's convicting you right now and you know, good grief, I've got this sin that's hidden. Maybe i got a hundred sins hidden in the closet or maybe it's just one biggie. I don't know. But if you're feeling like, yeah, I've never confessed that sin and the Spirit right now is kind of touching that thing, well, then, yeah, I don't know the sort of tragedy you're going to have to experience, but the Spirit's going to work and do His thing. But if you're here and you're going through a difficult time, that doesn't automatically mean you have some unconfessed sin that you got to go discover. It, the Spirit's not going to play tricks on you. If the Spirit's convicting you of sin, I've just never had to question one time if I'm getting convicted. It's fuzzy. <laughs> Gee whiz, am I getting convicted of sin here? Yes. Same for you guys. So you don't need to go down some rabbit hole of, gosh, did I do something wrong? Is that why I'm facing this? Here's the parallel for us today. God may use terrible situations we face to sovereignly bring us to a place where we have to face past hidden sins. And even though it may feel tragic and awful, it's for our good. It's for our good. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Meaning, God not only uses those things that we see as good and wonderful to our benefit, but God will even use unconfessed sin and his sovereign process of drawing it out for our good. For any here that are in God's family, understand that for your good, God may bend tragedies to bring unconfessed sin into the light. And I don't know how all of that plays out for you personally. I know how it plays out in our text. I don't know that at the end of it we'll be able to connect all the dots the way our text connects the dots. But we can trust in such situations. God is not punishing you. God is not punishing you. He is disciplining you for your good, Hebrews 12. If he's drawing this out. Application here. Do you believe this truth? I'd love for you to write that down. Believe. Do you believe this truth? See, when our sin is exposed and we're so wearied and exhausted by the pain of our own personal sin, it's easy to slip to begin disbelieving what God is doing. That's why it's so important to remember God really is loving. He is wise. He is powerful. He's wise. He's loving. He's powerful. He's using this for our good. Do you believe that? He's not punitive. He's not Zeus trying to throw some thunderbolts at you because you got out of line. He's saying, man, I love you. And like a Loving Father, Hebrews 12, will discipline his kid for their ultimate good. It's what he does to us. It's not punitive. It's restorative. First application, believe. Second application, I'd love for you to write it down. Confess. Confess. From our text, we see this crucial theme. Our past sins will find us out. And it may feel easier today to hide these sins, but I promise there's coming a day when it is coming out into the open. And, and, and here's my view. Best I can tell, if you're serious about following Jesus, 
If you're serious about following Jesus, but you've got a bunch of junk in your trunk that you haven't confessed, it is going to come out. And, and, and it can come out easy way or hard way. You've got a closet full of hidden sins, come out easy way or hard way. Here's the way I, I like somebody who said it to me. It come out the easy way, which doesn't really feel easy, but it's the easier of the two. And the easy way would be for you to confess it. You confess it. Or it's going to come out the hard way, which is God is going to bring that thing out into the light, and now you're going to have to deal with it anyway. But it's coming out. Sin has consequences. And if you're serious about Jesus, I don't think God's going to let you hide those indefinitely. So, so, so let's confess. Confess despite the pain. Embrace whatever God is going to do as he brings sin into the light. Because he knows what's good for us. He really is loving. He really is wise. He really is powerful. And if he tells us to confess, then that must be for our good. Non-Christian here, I don't want this to be confusing. So please, in case you've not read between the lines, let us just be explicit. Christians aren't good and perfect and pure in all we do. If, if, if you're here and you're thinking, look at all these people who think they're all perfect. They don't ever make any mistakes. That's not the facts at all. We're just like you, non-Christian. I mean, my guess is if you're here, you don't love Jesus, and we asked you, there's some stuff that you're embarrassed about. There's some stuff in your closet that you're like, man, I hope nobody ever finds that out. Us too. All of us got stuff that it's just, it's embarrassing. It's humiliating. It's shameful. The difference then between Christians and non-Christians is we say sorry. We're, we're looking at that sin and we're saying, that's wrong. And we need Jesus. 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins... He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Christ would forgive you if you confessed. Non-Christian, we invite you to join the family today. Find forgiveness, healing from your sin and shame. Well, we've considered our first question. One more. It's the shorter and final section in our text. Here's the question. Does God make us face our fears for our good? So we're picking back up with Joseph in the text. Look with me. He's filling his brother's bags, verse 25, with grain. He also puts their money back in the bags. Of course, on the way home, only nine brothers will be saying hi to their dad. And it would have been a scary reality. There would have been some fear, I trust, in the heart of the brothers as they're thinking to themselves, how are we going to explain that Simeon is locked up in the clink? And what's dad going to say about that? Second situation in our text revealing some fear, verse 28. They get some grain for one of their animals when all of a sudden they find some money. Look in the text, 28. Their hearts failed them and they turned trembling to one another. What is this that God has done to us? Their fear here, of course, is legitimate because when you have money in your bag, it looks like you stole it, and the last thing the boys need is another reason to be hated in Egypt. Third fearful moment we see in verse 35. It's not just one boy who has money in his sack. It's all of them. This is a lot of money. 
They've all come home with the money they were supposed to spend on grain. And maybe you've connected all the dots here. I needed help from the commentaries. There's a reason why all of this money would lead Jacob to seriously doubt the story that they're going to tell him. Like the boys are getting ready to go, all right, Dad, here's what happened. The guy said we were spies, and then he took Simeon, and then he said we have to bring Benjamin back. And, and Jacob's over here going, uh, yeah, you guys are frankly awful people. And you want me to believe that Simeon happens to be in jail and we just happen to need Benjamin to go with us because that's what's going to take. Wrong. My guess is Jacob would, well, I'm persuaded by those who've thought through it better than me, that, that Jacob wouldn't be surprising if he said, I bet you sold Simeon to slavery actually because where's all the money coming from? That's what you did. Well, now you're going to take Benjamin. Sell him too, make more money. No thank you. No thank you. I'm going to keep Benjamin here. Verse 37, Reuben, the anti-leader. Well, you can kill my sons if we fail. Oh, good, Reuben, because I'd love to see two of my grandkids killed if something happens to Benjamin too. Oh, great, three funerals, thank you. Last verse 38, we see Jacob's greatest fear is losing Benjamin. He's scared to death of losing his favorite son. And that's the end of our chapter. It's gut-wrenching. There's no bow on top of this. So, so, so it leaves us wondering, well, what in the world is God doing? And, 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 and how in the world does this connect to us today? Here's, here's what I want you to see. Not so different than in section one. Here in section two, it's leading the boys through this fear to bring their unconfessed sin into the light. God is bringing Jacob's nine sons and Jacob as well to face some of the most awful circumstances. See, I see four explicit fears in the text. Maybe you see them as well. First, the fear of being falsely accused that the boys had. Second, the fear of what dad is going to think of them. Uh, third, for Jacob, the fear of, oh no, I'm going to have to relive, relive this past nightmare. And then the final fear for Jacob is, I'm going to lose that which I love the most. But I think there's one more fear. It's not explicit, but I trust we are to see it clearly. And it's the fear that the boys have of, what if dad finds out what we did? And I think it's that fear that is so frightening for us today. Man, what if somebody finds out? And it, the secret is only compounding the sin in them. Now again, let's be tender because just because you perhaps are facing some fears right now, and you may have some legitimate fears you're facing, that does not mean that you have unconfessed sin. That's not the parallel. But if the Holy Spirit has convicted you and you find yourself going, man, I kind of keep bumping my head against this fear that's really connected to a hidden sin... What's what we see happening in our text? What we do know in our text is Jacob's sons have sinned against Joseph. And in God's sovereignty, God is allowing these different fears to play out for their good. For us then, when we're facing fearful circumstances, we're really scared. Do we really believe God is working for our good? 
Is Romans 8, 28 legitimate when we're facing our fears? For those who love God, do all things really work together for good? For those who are called according to his purpose? Here's the answer to our second question. I'd love for you to write it down. Yes, God may have us face our fears for our good. Of course, the challenge for us is when something feels scary to us, all of a sudden we're out of control, our tendency is to think, God, are you, why are you so powerless right now? What's wrong with you, God? Because God would never allow us to face something that scares us to death, would he? He would. He does. And we have to entrust ourselves to the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty of God One of the most dominant themes in this whole book, this idea, the sovereignty of God, that he is good, he is loving, he is wise, he is powerful, and he has dominion and control over all of these circumstances. And and if you believe that, the payout is when you feel powerless or trapped or helpless, you're invited to find peace in the arms of a good and loving and wise God. Here's the application for us today. Connected to God's sovereignty that we see in the second section with fear. Believe God is sovereign over your fears. Believe he's sovereign over your fears. And even if you're having to face some of your worst fears, you can trust it's for your good. Believe it. Reject the idea that God may be using fear as punishment. For to be in God's family means somebody was already punished. There's not more punishment for you today. God isn't up in heaven going, yeah, I know I I, I put my son on the cross and that was really horrible, but he didn't quite get it done, so I'm going to just drop a little fear on you today. Which means if you're facing fears, God's not punishing you. He's using it for your good. It's not punitive, it's restorative. For any here who, maybe you're facing a situation with your kid, you're just really afraid for your kid. Maybe it's spiritually, maybe it's physically, maybe it's every way, you're really struggling. Or maybe it's your marriage, you're just thinking to yourself, I'm really afraid. Or maybe it's your health, you're sick. You know somebody who's really sick, and it's really scary. You can find peace that God's sovereign, and he's good. He's going to use this for your good. It's the first application. You can believe it. Second application here, confess it. Confess your your fears to God. Don't ignore your fears. You don't have to feel like you're powerless. Just take a moment and, 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 and write down, well, what is it you're so afraid of? Like, that there's just power in being able to name it and say, Man, I'm afraid of that. That's scary to me. You don't have to be embarrassed by it. Good grief. I, we can compare notes on what you're afraid of, and my guess is my stuff's way more embarrassing than your stuff. It's ridiculous, the kind of stuff that can scare me. But just confess it. Confess your fears to God and, and confess your fears to somebody else. I've found, maybe you have too, fear grows deep roots in secrecy. Fears grow deep roots in secrecy. 
But when you bring those fears into the light, those fears begin to wilt. 1 John 1.18, perfect love casts out fear. So confess your fears. Rest in God's love for you. God is never going to leave you or forsake you, Hebrews 13.5. Which, of course, means that if part of your greatest fear is that somebody's going to find out some previous unconfessed sin, if what you're really afraid of is there's that thing. I, I know I didn't sell my brother into slavery in Egypt, but there's something equally awful that I've never told anybody that if that's what you're afraid of, just know as God gets that out into the light, he's going to be doing all that for your good. He's going to get good out of it. Which brings us back to that story of Abby, remember? Over the course of time, the story of Abby, she found herself married to a guy. And she decided, I'm, I'm going I'm to share this really deep thing with him. And she did. And little by little, she and him found themselves at a church, and she kept hearing about the freedom that the gospel actually brings, the peace that the gospel actually brings, that Jesus really does want to heal you. And she found herself going, would he really want to heal that? And he does. And she realized, Christ came to give me healing of my broken heart and this awful sin, and she began to believe, yes, God is taking my sin and shame, and on the cross, he is, he's covered it, which gave her then freedom to share more openly. And last I heard, she is leading a ministry for other women in her city, helping bring healing to those who've been through the traumatic experience she's been through, and she's sharing her story honestly. Hey, this is what happened in my life, but God has brought healing, and he can bring healing to you too. For Abraham too, while difficult... He was able to bring the secret sin into the light. And it did cause difficulty short term. It was painful. But ultimately, God has been working good in Abraham's life too. For God will make us face unconfessed sins for our good. And God does make us face fears for our good. But the reason we can do all of that and make it through is because Jesus faced the cross for our good too. For just as God sovereignly operated in deeply painful ways in Genesis 42, which is what we've seen. God operating sovereignly in deep and painful ways to begin, begin to bring healing and reconciliation to his people. So God allowed Jesus to live and die in the most painful way to bring healing and reconciliation for us today. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.